Inductees into the South Dakota Hall of Fame come from all backgrounds of life, but one thing they all have in common is their daily pursuit of their dreams. In this podcast, you will hear stories of the legacy of these inductees and how these dream chasers have impacted South Dakota in meaningful ways. I am Marcy Christensen Burdick, and I am the chair of the South Dakota Hall of Fame board. Very pleased to have with me for a conversation today, Virginia Driving Hawks Navy. Let me tell you a little bit about her before we start talking. She was born on the Rosebud Reservation and her career has been as an educator and an author where she has worked to teach and to document the proud history of the Native American people, often drawing from her own ancestors' experiences. Ms. Driving Hawks Navy earned bachelor and master's degrees from South Dakota State University, which also designated her as a distinguished alumnus in 1974. Her individual honors are way too numerous to mention, but I am going to mention one. Very notably, she was awarded a National Humanities Medal by President Bill Clinton in 2000, the first South Dakotan to receive that prestigious award. And I'm so glad to have you here today, Virginia, to talk about your career. And let me kick right off with when you were a young person, elementary school age, what did you imagine your life would be like and what changed and what didn't? You know, I've been thinking about that question after I got it and trying to remember it. It's been a while. But, you know, I don't think I had any aspirations when I was in elementary school. I was just sort of in the presence and I enjoyed school and I liked it there, but never gave much thought to the future at all other than just living where I was. I guess it wasn't until I was in high school that I began to think about, hey, what am I gonna do? And, but, but in the elementary school, I remember I, I used to like to read a lot and I was into um, Louisa May Alcock's Little Women's Books and was just fascinated with, with those and with the, the character of Joel, who seemed to be not afraid to do much of anything. And that impressed me that, to think that, hey, maybe I could, I could do something like that. Mm-hmm. So do you think, would you say reading and the educational experience was important in kind of your formative years to you? Oh, very important. I, I read at an early age, my mother told me. And so then when I started school, uh, I was a rarity because I could read a little bit. And so my teacher thought that was absolutely wonderful. And so always encouraged me to keep it up. And in uh, an elementary school on the Rosebud Reservation, we didn't have a library other than the textbooks and a few other things. But my teacher managed to find books for us to read and then, after I went to St. Mary's School for Indian Girls, uh, that was in Springfield, South Dakota, we did have a library and there were more books there. And then we did a field trip and went to Yankton, South Dakota to a big library. And I just had no idea there's so many books in the world. And uh, that reading has always been uh, part of, very important part of my life. And uh, it entertains me, educates me, amuses me let me fantasize. And so um, I always encourage everybody to read. It certainly helps us think about a world outside where we are, doesn't it? Sure does. Let me ask you about your first career. You you chose a first career as a teacher. 
Why did you choose that field and how did you come to that? Well, uh, in those days, there wasn't much of an option for us, especially on the reservation. Uh, women weren't working other than in teaching or medicine. And I had no desire to go into, to be a nurse or anything like that. And uh, so teaching would just seem to be what I was meant to be. And uh, later on in life, and I, I thought, you know, I bet I could have been a lawyer. I would have liked to have been a lawyer, not necessarily a trial lawyer, but, you know, being able to read and uh, analyze things and that sort of thing. I probably could have done that, but that wasn't an opportunity that I saw was available then. Mm -hmm. What, uh, I wonder if you would, could talk a little bit about the rewards and the challenges you found as a teacher and the moments that kind of particularly stand out when you think about those years? Yes, um, teaching, um, I was a high school teacher to start with. And, um, and I was um, 21 years old and I had senior students who were 19 and 20. And I mean, it was kind of tough that first year uh, because uh, I felt like I was one of them. <laughs> But I, I managed, and um, but yeah, teaching, uh, I, it became very rewarding to me, um, particularly uh, uh, I had students that had weak skills, and so ended up teaching remedial skills, and, um, and that was very rewarding then because they were able to catch up and they could see what they were doing, and then uh, Later on, I would have students come back to me and say, oh, gee, you know, Mrs. Navy, I just hated all that spelling and grammar and punctuation and all that kind of stuff, but I didn't realize how it was going to help me, and then it did. And so that was the, to see how they took what I had taught them, they learned it, and they were able to use it in their work. That, that is a very rewarding thing. Mm -hmm. Well, then you pivoted and you became an author. And how did you take that idea of being an author and turn it into action and actually become one? I was a storyteller. Uh, my grandparents uh, lived with us part of the time. And uh, they were practicing a tradition, which I didn't realize was such at the time. But they would tell us stories. My grandmother, especially for a driving hot. She would tell us stories about things of the past and legends and that sort of thing that I thought she was making up just for us, but it wasn't, it was part of the oral tradition. And so it just seemed sort of a natural process that I started telling stories. And my mother says that I would make up stories and I tell them to my, to my dolls and to my brother and that kind of thing. And uh, she just let me do that. And so it seemed to be sort of a natural transition then after I learned how to write, read and write to actually go from the speaking of the stories to, to the writing. And it took a little while for me to, to find my voice in a sense. And um, it was a challenge, but I had some uh, very um, important mentors in my life in high school and in college who encouraged me along the way so that I, um, was rather hesitant at first, but managed to plunge in and have been very fortunate ever since then. Mm -hmm. 
Since um, a lot of what we're doing today is focused on young people, I wonder if you'd say a little bit more about those challenges or those barriers to the dream of being an author. How did you get over them? When you, when you talk about mentors, but what did you do? Well, like I said, the teachers that I had knew that I had some ability and, and encouraged me. And then um, uh, urged me not to be afraid to tackle something. And of course, I began writing about what I knew. And um, that was the Native American uh, the, the reservations and the people I grew up with. And at first I couldn't find a market for anything like that at all. Nobody wanted to read about that sort of thing. And what they wanted to read about was Indians hunting buffalo and living, living in teepees and uh, a romantic sort of view of uh, the Native American that way, which is not at all accurate. Even when I was a child, it wasn't. And so, um, when I tried to get published then, uh, it was rather discouraging until I, I found a way um, to include what had happened to, to us in the past and the values and the things that were important in the past were still helpful and current today. So that, that we had things that were important in the past that we could use today, like our um, um, cultural aspects of of sharing with each other and looking after each other in a community uh, circle and how a family was so very important to us. And so that that became part of what I tried to express in my writing. And, um, and then of course, after I became a teacher and began uh, reading other uh, people's writings, um, everyone says, you write about what you know, don't, I wouldn't begin to try to about, write about a child in Paris, you know, because I have never been to Paris or, and mm -hmm. French. But it, it was appalling to me to find out that there were non-natives who were writing about us as experts and they were you know, perpetrating stereotypes and wrong images and um, sometimes just outright falsehoods about us. And so um, and it sort of became a purpose then to be accurate as possible as I could and still tell a good story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, one of the questions that I had kind of touched on it already of why it was important to you to focus on stories on the Lakota people and culture. But since you touched on that a little bit, let me, let me switch it up and, and say, tell us a little bit about your first book and um, maybe expand a little bit on how that was different from what else was out there that young people or older people were reading at the time. Well, <clears throat> I entered a contest, the Interracial Council for Minority Books for Children. It was in the 70s, and um, it was a group of publishers and editors and authors in um, the New York area who realized that there, there was a need for authentic stories from minority cultures, Black mm -hmm. writing for Black and Native Americans for Native Americans and so forth. And so um, we were encouraged to enter this contest. And so my first story was Jimmy Yellowhawk. And that was based on experiences my brother and I had when we were growing up on the Rosebud Reservation. And um, 
and it won in the Native American category, which uh, was very fortunate for me and had the unusual experience then of having a published publishers come to me and make me offers. And that's not the usual process. You usually send something out and they get many rejections before you get a, an acceptance. But uh, that, that's what happened. And I was just fortunate to be able to respond to that and, and keep on writing. And uh, that my first publisher was Holiday House, a children's book publisher. And uh, they were very open for me writing more contemporary stories about Native Americans other than just uh, riding horses and hunting buffalo. So I was very fortunate in, in having a publisher that understood what I was trying to do. Well, obviously your work has had an impact as evidenced by the National Humanities Award, but I wonder if there have been instances over the years where people have come to you to tell you specifically about how your work has influenced their thinking or their lives. And if you would, um, set aside your natural modesty and tell us a little bit about the impact that you've heard that you've had. Well, I've heard it firsthand from students. Um, I've had uh, teachers who use my work in their classrooms and then the students write to me and they tell me about how the book affected them some way or other or reminded them of a family member or gee, uh, how great it was to know that somebody knew about us and, and they were very happy to have that happen to them. And uh, that uh, some thought that I actually inspired them to, to want to write. And some of them have tried. And then of course I did teach creative writing and for yeah, Native American students in the high school and college level and had a firsthand opportunity to mentor them myself. And uh, so that was very rewarding as well. And uh, just to know that they're doing well um, because I had some influence in their lives, that uh, makes one feel pretty good. As it should, as it should. Um, I think it's important for young people to hear about those who have become successful and how they got around obstacles in their life. And I wonder if you'd be willing to share some obstacles that you faced growing up or in your professional life and how you handled them? Well, you know, I think I was very fortunate because I never really had any difficult roadblocks to stumble over or try to scale. I uh, had a very loving, caring, concerned family and extended family that I grew up with and, um, and the church. My father was an Episcopal priest and uh, through the, uh, the church, he was able to have an education and unemployment and employment. And so he always encouraged my brother and I to go on for an education, realizing that if we wanted to make something of ourselves in the modern society, we had to have a back, an educational background, which we did. And so um, I had trouble though. Um, I went to uh, St. Mary's School for Indian Girls and it was sort of a prep school for Native American girls. And, uh, but we had very weak science and math skills. Uh, our language arts and social studies was okay. But, uh, so then when I went to college, I had a really difficult time. Then I chose South Dakota State University 
which at the time I did was because um, a teacher of mine had taken us there on a field trip. And I didn't realize that it was a heavily oriented science and engineering school. Uh, it's pretty high standards in math and science. So I had to have tutors. It was, um, it was difficult for me. And, um, and I took, um, I can't remember what kind of a class, it was a math class, and we had to use a slide rule. Remember those things? I do, I do. <laughs> Computer things. And uh, I was fortunately in having this um, guy, an engineer who was sitting next to me, who showed me how to operate the Dargon thing. Otherwise, I would never have been able to get through it because having to do all of those equations and things on paper and in your head was beyond me. So I was unfortunate in having uh, friends there. And, uh, and I made it through college. I, wasn't, I didn't have the best grades in the world, but I was able to get through and I'm very grateful for my education. Your story reminds me of the Fred Rogers, the Mr. Rogers line that look for the helpers because they're everywhere. Yeah. You had a helper beside you at your desk. That's yeah. a great story. Yeah. So when young people ask you for advice, what do you tell them? Um, often, I used to visit schools an awful lot and talk to them about writing and, and my books and that sort of thing. And they would uh, uh, sometimes uh, say, ask me questions about after I talked about my books, like when the Indians were alive, and uh, I'd kind of look at them and say, what do you mean? Well, you know, when you were, when the Indians were alive and then all of a sudden they go, oh, you know what I mean? And so there's still that little hurdle there that uh, Indians are still not considered um, real people unless we are alive in the sense of being in a teepee, that sort of thing. And that image is still there that we're, we're sort of not real people. Uh, well, like the sports uh, mascot type of thing, we're caricatures. And, uh, and that, of course, is rather demeaning. And so uh, children, uh, Native American children, see that kind of thing. And it's a very negative influence on them, even today, I think. And so I, I try to encourage them to be proud of who they are and their family and what they're doing. And that if they want to, uh, do anything at all, they're going to have to learn how to read. And they need to learn to read well and be a discriminating reader to know what's good and bad and what influences you and the difference between uh, propaganda and fact and that sort of thing. So I always encourage children to, to read because that's, the, the, that's an important tool in their lives. Mm -hmm. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when a young person asked you that question and had that moment of realization they were talking to a Native American. Yeah, yeah. Was, was that enough of a teaching moment for you or did you build on that to kind of teach them about encompassing their own inherent biases, if you will? Yeah, it was, it was a teaching moment and for the teacher in the classroom too, uh, who, probably had some of the same kind of misconceptions, but until the child said it, she realized that uh, the, the children in the classroom had these um, wrong ideas about things. And uh, so um, 
I built on that uh, in my books, of course. We try to always uh, show that we are still here in a positive way and uh, are still doing important things. So um, I hope I have uh, influenced children to that extent. Is there, um, I have, I'm at the end of the list of my questions, but I wonder if there's anything I haven't asked you that you'd like to talk about, or if there's any thought to the young people who may um, be pursuing Legends and Learning page to learn more about you and Native Americans in South Dakota. Well, I think it's important that they are aware that there are cultural differences among us and that it shouldn't divide us. Uh, we can learn from each other. Uh, very well. And um, my family is an example of that because we're, we're bicultural. My husband is Norwegian descent. And uh, um, my kids used to call themselves Sioux Regions. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they are proud of both aspects of their heritage. And I think it's important for all children to be proud of their background, whether they're uh, native or non-native or they're black or Hawaiian or whatever, uh, where they come from is important to them and helps them become a person that they will be in their uh, present life. So um, differences are there, but we need to appreciate them and not have them divide us. Well, that was terrific. I'm really glad we had an opportunity to do this. Well, I am too. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. To learn more about the South Dakota Hall of Fame and these dream chasers, visit our website at www.sdexcellence.org and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.